When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kittramalides, joined as ever by Dr. Sid Lowe uh, from a very wet Madrid, Sydney, but not as wet as we thought it was going to be. Yeah, not so wet that I could, that, that, you know, that I definitely couldn't have gone to the, to the, I was about to call it the Wander again, the Metropolitano, the Civitas Metropolitano, the Atletico Madrid against Sevilla, which was cancelled because of the warnings of the rain that was coming. And there was a lot of it but probably not enough to have cancelled it as it turned out. Obviously, much, much better to be safe than sorry. That's true. It is better to be safe than sorry. Uh, it, you know, <laughs> some of us who were maybe raised in the not, not Northern Europe and saw the water that fell yesterday and it really wasn't that much. But yeah, better to be safe than sorry, I guess. They're now going to have a problem. Where to fit in this uh, rescheduled game, Atletico Madrid against Sevilla? They're talking about Sydney potentially the 30th or 31st of December. Uh, which should uh, which should be nice, good, good. Which basically means that we, we, we'll all we'll all pretend it hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Um, if you've been loving La Liga so far this season, and why wouldn't you? Uh, why not add the Spanish football podcast? Uh, to your life on Patreon. You can join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. This week, patrons are going to get a Q&A pod and a bonus podcast. Plus, it's time for the return of TSFP Presents with a brand new series. All of that, you get access to the TSFP Discord. Join us. Uh, it's around four euros a month. Patreon.com forward slash TSFP. So, we've just had match day four in La Liga this season. This is what happened. Uh, Friday night, a big result for Cadiz. They beat Villarreal. Uh, by three goals to one, seven points from a possible 12 for Cadiz. A really good start to the season for them. Darwin Machis uh, scoring an absolute belter uh, in that game. And then there was another terrific game at the Power Horse Stadium. Uh, Almeria 2, Celta Vigo 3. Celta were 2-0 up, then it was 2-2. And then obviously Barreled Aspas scoring the winner for Celta Vigo. Uh, then on Saturday... A massive, massive win for La Real. They beat Granada by five goals to three at the Real Arena. Some absolutely beautiful goals scored by Imanol Aguacil's team. Then Real Madrid needed a 95th minute winner by you'll never guess who. Yes, Jude Bellingham scored again, this time late on for Real Madrid to beat Getafe 2-1 at the Bernabeu. First game of the season at the Bernabeu. Alaves beat Valencia by a goal to nil and Betis beat Rio by the same scoreline. Then on Sunday, Girona continued their excellent start to the season. 10 points from a possible 12 for Girona, who are second. They beat Las Palmas by a goal to nil. Uh, Mallorca and Athletic Club finished nil-nil. Atletico and Sevilla was postponed. And then Barcelona beat Osasuna by two goals to one at El Sadar. 
on Sunday evening. Uh, we'll start off in Madrid, Sydney, because you are at the uh, Bernabeu. Before we get to the football, how is the brand new, it's not that new, but how is the new Bernabeu looking? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels very, very, very different from the outside in terms of the space it occupies, in terms of the way it, it, it looked, particularly the space it occupies, because uh, obviously one of the things that's happened is that that space in front of the Castellana has kind of been taken over by the stadium and they've kind of opened up a space on the backside as well, uh, where used to the, where there used to be kind of a little mini shopping centre built into the side of the stadium, and that's kind of opened up the space. And, and of course, the fact that it's all silver now means that it looks very, very different. Inside, the the, the difference is less in the sense that it's it's not a new. St- I mean, I've listened to a lot of people. Got a very lot a lot of very angry Real Madrid fans yesterday, by the way, on Twitter, having a go at me for for making this point. No, and it wasn't a uh, yeah, but like really kind of bizarrely unnecessary um, anger as well no. the point being that, that, that I'd heard a lot of people say the new Bernabeu as if this is a complete reconstruction and it's not it's, it's the old stadium with, with this kind of outer casing put on it which enables them to do things like I think there's a couple of restaurants there's going to be a hotel um, there's, a, there's kind of skywalks and stuff it's about generating um, commercial revenue throughout the year obviously the really big thing is the the stadium roof which was closed at the weekend uh, but the, the the kind of the looking at the pitch part of it is not dramatically different um, there's a, there's a, there's a slight raising I, th- I think in the corners the side where the press sit which is the east side of ground has has been raised up a little bit to join the others or well, that doesn't quite join in the corner bits there's kind of a step down um, and but the, the seats sort of looking at the pitch that part of it hasn't changed and the other thing obviously that means it hasn't changed or that means that that I kind of questioned the idea of calling this a new stadium is it's in the same place the pitch is in the same place and actually it hasn't been closed all this time we've continued to go to the Bernabeu it's not mm. like we haven't been to the Bernabeu that so far this season has been three consecutive away games as they accelerate some of the work but it hasn't been that it hasn't gone the big difference I suppose in terms of the match day experience this time was that the noisy part of the fans are back down in the lower part of the south tier, whereas before that was the one bit that was tarpaulined off and they were pushed a little bit higher up and it didn't help in terms of atmosphere. And I think, although I, I think I want to see a European game to be able to judge this properly, that the closing of the roof might have helped the acoustics, might have made it feel that little bit louder. Um, but obviously it will be the European nights where we really see that. But as I say, the, the kind of the looking at the pitch part of it, that hasn't changed enormously, not least, of course, because it didn't need to, because it was already by far and away the best ground in in Spain and probably even in Europe. Um, So there was maybe a little bit too much made of the idea of a new home, but obviously for Bellingham it was a new home and and it turned out rather nicely. Uh, It's a city where it doesn't actually rain that much, Madrid, so some people were questioning the validity or necessity of a a roof. Uh, Obviously Florentino Perez is a a very powerful man and he must have had a word with the the gods to make it rain. (laughs) To to (laughs) To really prove the point. (laughs) You see, we do need, we do need. Uh, this uh, this this roof, but there we go. Uh, you mentioned this is going to sound very silly, Phil. Sorry, just just a kind of a, yeah. just to interrupt for a moment. Right, this is going to sound very silly, but allow me to say it because I actually think this matters in a minor sort of way. But I think this matters. Is the roof going to be closed every time it rains? Is it going to be closed basically? Obviously, all the time anyway. And is it going to be closed? All the way. Now, the reason I raise this is that on Saturday it didn't really rain very much during the game, and obviously what the roof does it means that the stadium, the fans in the stadium don't get wet. Now it used to be that you basically got wet from around about the tenth or fifteenth throw upwards, so most of the stadium didn't get wet anyway. Because unlike a lot of Spanish stadiums, it did have a roof all the way around. It just didn't join in the middle. Now the reason I ask this is that 
Maybe this makes me old-fashioned and maybe this makes me English. Football in the rain is brilliant. And if you're denying the chance for the game to be in the rain, maybe not the fans, but the game to be in the rain, I think that's a pity. I think that loses some of the epicness of it. And so I wonder if there's an option to kind of close the roof just enough that gets the pitch wet, but not the people. Um, that's not going to happen. No, that's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely going to be closed all the time it's raining. All the time, definitely. I mean, it wasn't even properly raining on, on Saturday. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. It wasn't particularly bad on Saturday. We, you know, all right, of course, look, from a fan's point of view, you welcome it. Absolutely you do. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I just football's supposed to be played in the rain. Yeah, that is um, that is a very sort of uh, British perspective. Let's um, let's acknowledge where maybe we it are. is. Let's acknowledge where we are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it uh, is. You're quite right. In the intro, I suggested it was Barrel Daspas who scored the uh, winner for Celta Vigo, and it wasn't. It was Willie Svedberg. Apologies for that um, uh, for that oversight. Anyway, back to. Um, I think it's his first goal as well, isn't it? He's he's only a kid. He wasn't really getting opportunities last year. And it was uh, and it was very nicely taken as well. And it was late on, and it was quite dramatic. Uh, back to the um, back to the Bernabeu, and obviously you were there. Uh, to see the game, but also to see uh, Jude Bellingham, who uh, um, had a, had another goal-scoring performance, scored in every game he's played in, five goals, La Liga's top goal scorer. It was um, it was another number nine goal. It was another being yeah. in the right place at the right time goal. He hasn't had a, a spectacular screamer or an individual piece of brilliance, but being in the right place at the right time as a consequence of of the position that he's playing. What, what did you think of Jude up close in the Bernabeu? Um, well, I thought I thought he he played really well. I thought he was all over the pitch again. I thought again we saw a demonstration of the personality um, because this was a game as you might expect against Getafe that wasn't always pretty. Although I actually thought the introduction of Tony Cruz in the second half made a huge difference, and Real Madrid were, were I thought really quite good actually in the second half. Even though it took them a while to get through, I thought they played played pretty well in the second half. Not not great in the first, and Bellingham was. Uh, Again, covered a lot of ground. I thought he went to the right more often than he'd done in previous games. And I think that partly is a product of the difference between having Rodrigo and Vinicius in front of you and Rodrigo and Joselu in front of you. Because if Joselu is in front of you, by definition, to sort of go beyond him, you go to the right of him because he doesn't split open in the way that Rodrigo and Vinicius do to allow um, Bellingham to run through them. Uh, that meant at times maybe he didn't have as much if you like, protagonism as, as perhaps in other games. There were two or three really, really clever passes. There's one that releases Carvajal in the second half that really liked, really nice angled pass. He didn't back down when he had um, Getafe players trying to kind of ruffle him up. In fact, there's a lovely moment right at the very end of the game. Now, I know it's easy to do right at the end of the ver- very end of the game, but, but, but I quite enjoyed it, which is when you've got Gaston Alvarez try and barge him off the pitch. And Bellingham sort of took the hit and kind of s- stood there a bit with his hands on his hips and just looked at the crowd and there was, there was a smile and I think the hint of a wink that sort of said, yeah, we've got him, haven't we? This is all right, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and I just think we saw that personality again of Bellingham, the, the, the refusal to back down, that nice combination I think he's got of being in awe of Real Madrid in terms of everything he says, you know, this is huge, this is amazing, this is Real Madrid, it's the biggest thing on earth. And at the same time of looking like he doesn't care that it's Real Madrid. Real Madrid, well, and? I can play. I've got this. And, and that, I think, is the thing that defines him. I've got this. Now, obviously, the thing that's really defining him at the moment is the goals. And, and I think it's, it's worth pointing out what you say. They've all been number nine goals. He said post-game this time round, um, his line was, there's a lot of mental work that goes into that, wondering if the ball was going to drop, seeing that it might fall to me. And if you notice, he sets off as soon as Lucas Vasquez hits the shot. 
And most players don't. And, I mean, to the extent that he is alongside a number nine, Costello, and he gets there first. The, the number nine doesn't, Costello doesn't. Um, and he sets off, and really and truly sets off for a shot that shouldn't drop to him. Because David Sodio has had a brilliant game, should catch that and should hold on to it. And if you notice, Sodio spills it, but reacts really quite fast to get to it. But, but Bellingham is already on the run and is so much quicker. And I don't think it's chance. And Ancelotti spoke post-game about this shift um, with him. And he said, look, we've shown him some videos. What we mostly did was show him videos of the things that he did at Dortmund that we liked closer to goal. He said, now it's true that at Dortmund he would come and receive the ball between the lines a little bit and here he's not doing that. He said, but there were things he did at Dortmund that we would show him and we were essentially saying, keep doing this. He said, we don't have to talk to him all that much because he's bright and he gets it and he, he understands and he has a capacity to learn very, very quickly. So we've not had to repeat things. But there's no doubt that part of Bellingham's success this season has been a positional success. Uh, let me just give you an, uh, an example of the uh, massive impact that Bellingham has had on the uh, people in uh, in Madrid. I can tell you that my five-year-old boy, when he's playing football with his little friends in the plaza in the square, when they've been scoring, they've been doing the Bellingham celebration. So there we go. That just gives you the yeah. the uh, the idea of, of how how much how quickly uh, he's been taken to by everyone. That's pleasing, isn't it? If only because it might finally bury the CU. There are Sioux as well, Sid. There are always Sioux. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. They're non-stop. But the Bellingham celebration has also been uh, also been very much heavily adopted. Um, let's move on because, you know, there's lots of stuff we could talk about and there's more stuff we could talk about Real Madrid. And if you want us to send a, answer us a question, send us a question and we'll do so. Uh, we want to talk about Osasuna 1, Barcelona 2. I've lost count, I think, over the last year, a year and a half in our WhatsApp group where you've sent me the message, I don't think Barcelona are very good. And it feels strange mm. because obviously we're talking about the champions, we're talking about a team that were worthy champions last year and, and they won again yesterday, but we can't shake this feeling. And it's a feeling that we've had for a while that they, they're they not at their best and they weren't again against Osasuna, a heavily rotated Osasuna side. You look at that starting eleven that Osasuna put out and you think, what on earth is going on? Because they'd been in action in their Conference League playoff on Thursday night. The vast majority of their first team is on the bench, and yet they gave Barcelona a really, really tough game. Yeah, they did. Um, they did. Now, obviously, in fairness, despite the rotation, rotated team, Osasuna at home should give you a tough game. Uh, that, that, I suppose, should be the starting point here. Um, the only team they didn't really give a tough game to was, was Athletic. And actually, to be fair, even in, even in that game, in the last half an hour, they certainly did, albeit it was a little bit one-dimensional. I think with Barcelona, we feel... One of the reasons, I suppose, why we maybe talk about this more with Barcelona than with other teams, and I think Barcelona fans might well be entitled to say, well, Madrid don't convince either. But there's something about Madrid that we sort of, I don't know, we kind of expect them to find a way through without always necessarily dominating. But Barcelona's identity, at least in theory, is domination, it's control of possession, it's not seeding opportunities because of possession rather than because of deep defending. Uh, it's creating chances, it's it's maintaining possession, it's having the ball all the time, it's the quality of the interchange between the midfielders. And those things are not really happening that much. Um, and, and you know, there's, there's one or two other doubts as well, specific ones. Robert Lewandowski, for example, we're, we're looking at him and thinking... It's not quite fitting for him, and he has said that he thinks he doesn't get sufficient chances, that the, the, the ball doesn't come to the kind of positions he would want sometimes. And, and yeah, I, I think the, the overall feeling with Barcelona is that this doesn't entirely convince. That said, obviously, the arrival of Jao Cancelo, and we saw a couple of little moments last night 
should help because they haven't really had a right back for the last year or so. Um, who knows, maybe Jail Felix will help. I, I still don't entirely see the fit in the team, but, but maybe to the left-hand side of a front three, maybe that does work for him and it gives him a bit of freedom to, to kind of float away, around and be off the forward rather than necessarily out wide all the time. But I, I agree with you, I, it doesn't entirely commit. The other thing I, I suppose as well to, to kind of put everything into the balance is to say that they are different when Pedri's around and Pedri, of course, at the moment isn't around. No Pedri, no Ronald Araujo, arguably the, the two most crucial players, along with Lewandowski, and they've both been out uh, for a while, and they, and they will be. The two Jaos came on, Cancelo came on for the last half hour, Jao Felix came on for the last 10 minutes. We've spoken about our, if not stupefaction, but slight bewilderment at the signing of uh, Jao Felix. We could not see how or why it would happen, but it did happen. Congratulations to Georges Mendes on some truly excellent work in the transfer window, bringing in the two Jaws, both of his clients, and moving on Ansu Fati. Really some sterling work there done by uh, Georges Mendes. And, and we'll see, who knows? Maybe we'll end up being made to look extremely silly, Sydney, because we publicly said we don't see how Jao Felix necessarily fits into the team or why they are spending the money that they're spending on him. Uh, what's the point of it? But if he comes in and, and plays extremely well, we will be made yeah. to look silly well and, um, and also to, to be fair as well the 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 first part of our doubts about this have already been overcome which were how do Barcelona afford this and how do they get him registered now that part's yeah. already overcome and that's the most important part so you start from a your starting point is there's actually quite a lot of attacking players you don't really need him you're probably going to need a fight for this you're probably going to need to spend quite a lot of money for this now those parts have been overcome so now you come back purely to the how does he fit in the team well as I've said off the left, with a little bit of freedom, it might well fit all right, particularly if you've got Balde going up outside him so that he doesn't necessarily need to play wide left so that he can drift inside. Maybe that can work. Um, maybe that could, was a role that could have worked for Ansu Fati. For whatever reason, it seems Xavi's not entirely enamoured of Ansu Fati. And yes, there are doubts, I think, in his fit in the team. But I do think the most important thing has been overcome, which is we looked at this and thought, why would a team in this position get itself in a fight for a player that could be very costly? Actually, that part of it... It looks like Barcelona may have been able to handle reasonably well. That's true. That's true. Um, he extended his contract with Atletico Madrid for two more years before moving to uh, Barcelona on loan, which meant that Barca didn't have to pay the amortisation on his uh, on his transfer. He is um, having his wages though covered by uh, Barcelona. So let's see. Good luck to uh, to João Felix in Barcelona because because if this doesn't work out, Sydney, if this doesn't work out, it's not quite last chance saloon for him. It's not far off because he's had he's had chances. He's had no. chances at Atletico, yeah, chances at Chelsea, and now he's got a chance at Barcelona. So let's see how um how he gets on. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Real Sociedad and that five three victory against Granada. They'd only scored two goals before this game, but they put five past Granada. Uh, they could have scored more as well. There was some lovely free flowing football. Some of the goals scored are absolute peaches. Take Kubo is the conductor of the orchestra, and we were wondering who might pick up where. David Silva left off, and they're not two, you know, exactly the same kind of players, but there are similarities, and Takekubo is obviously proving to be an extremely important player for this L'Oreal team. I really loved what he said post-game as well, so he's, he's, he's comes to the pitch side, and the first question is basically, wow, it's four games this season, you've been man of the match four times, and he said, yeah, and maybe this is the only time that I actually deserved it, which I thought was, <laughs> which I thought was brilliant. I really, I mean, I said this to you, didn't I? I was at the game against Celta and, and, and Lavial yes. fell away really bad in the second half. But in the first half, I thought he was brilliant. And, and he's, he's very exciting. He's very dynamic. He's, 
he's prepared to go at people. He's got nice, nice line in angled passes. He runs beyond the defensive line if the defensive line is high really, really well. Times those runs well. I think his finishing is pretty good. It, admittedly, at the weekend, the second of the two that he scored, which looks like an absolutely brilliant goal at first view, takes a pretty serious deflection. I think without it, might not have gone in. But he's, he's a really, really nice player. As you say, it's slightly different to Silva. It's less about the angled passes. It's maybe a little bit more about the mobility. But I, I think he's, he's looking very, very good indeed. With, Ra- with La Real, I suppose the question mark, particularly with the Champions League coming up, is, is going to be, a, I suppose, similar to what it's been for all of these seasons with them since Emmanuel took over. All the way through this period, we've had moments where we thought, wow, they're really good. In fact, we had two seasons where we wandered midway through if they might even compete for the league title. And both times, the tail-off was very significant in the second half of the season. Uh, not to the extent, I think, of being critical of them, because I think maybe they'd actually overachieved in the first, and it was a, there was a certain element of regressing to the, to the norm. Um, but I think they're, they're, they're a very, very talented team. be interesting as well, by the way, to see how, how well Tierney plays, because actually I thought he was pretty good this weekend. Kieran Tierney going straight into the uh, starting eleven, and uh, yeah, you're right, do, do, doing pretty well. And it looks like he's got... Um, He's got that left-back spot for his own. I mean, he'll have Iron Munoz for competition, but obviously Manuel liked what he saw, put him straight in, and was repaid with a decent performance. So La Real uh, with a big win against Granada. But we should also mention Girona uh, and that terrific start they've had uh, to the season. I've been uh, writing about them today, so I've got a few of the uh, stats and facts fresh in my mind. But they've had two clean sheets so far this season, Sid, and that mm. might not sound like a big deal, but two mm. clean sheets in four matches... Last year, it took them six months to keep one clean sheet. It came on, <laughs> uh, came on match day 20. Uh, it was not something that they were uh, capable of doing. And obviously, they've done it this season, losing Oriol Romeo, losing Santi, losing Santi Bueno as well. Uh, they brought in Daily Blind. Daily Blind to Girona felt like one of those sort of random transfers that was generated by a random transfer bot or something. It, it was a little bit left field, shall we say. But he's come in and he's, he's, he's done pretty well. That said, that said, Sid, Las Palmas could easily have scored at the weekend. Yeah, uh, they, Girona ro- they rode their luck a little bit against Sevilla as well when they won 2-1 a couple of weeks ago. So I think we should be wary of getting too carried away. But at the same time, uh, the transfer market's been decent for them. Yes, they they lost Oriol Romeo and Tati Castellanos, but they've uh, they've uh, brought in some some decent players. Uh, they brought Porto back from uh, Getafe, and he scored the winner against Las Palmas. They've got Eric Garcia on loan, who's going to help a lot with the salida de balón, the bringing the ball out from the back, which is what they are. They're really quite good at under Michel. And I was looking at the stats, Sid. They have touched the ball. They've had more touches in their in their own third than any other team in La Liga and, and by a lot as well they're way ahead of anyone else but then they have almost the fewest number of touches in the um, in the attacking third so they build up very nicely from the back and then when they get in and around the penalty area it's bim bam bim bam shoot um, oh that's the that's, that's my, the plan uh, yeah. yeah that's the plan and that's my assessment after four games maybe we're reading too much into it uh, but massive credit to Michel who we've spoken about a lot uh, on the podcast over the last couple of years and they are they remain one of the best coach teams in La Liga I think yeah and I think that's one of the reasons why when when a couple of minutes ago you were saying well maybe maybe we shouldn't get too excited yet because they're a little bit fortunate this time in that Las Palmas could have scored maybe a little bit fortunate against Sevilla but I think one of the things that kind of invites us maybe and maybe it's a trap maybe it is a trap, invites us to be enthusiastic about them, invites us to, to like them, invites us to think they're genuinely a good team, is precisely the fact that, as you say, that they've got a coach that everybody likes, 
They've got a coach that speaks very well. They are a team where you can see what they're trying to do. So I think that does occasionally lead you into the trap of kind of believing that everything's a plan, if you see what I mean. Watching them and going, oh, well, they're really good because I can see what they're trying to do. Whereas some other teams, maybe you don't see it quite as clearly. Maybe the identity's not as clear. And so therefore you're less inclined, if you see what I mean, to see everything as part of a plan as part of mm. the, the you know a preconceived idea and it just sort of happens and you think well you know it just kind of happened whereas with Girona you always feel like you're watching what was supposed to happen and it feels like that's clear and I think that is a good thing I think there is a, occasionally a risk that you fall into that trap I also think there's a there's a double uh, d- double reading if you like of those statistics of the ball in their own half that tells you maybe that they Possibly that they wait a little bit too long to see the, see the ball out from the back, that maybe they're trying to bring the other teams onto them and sometimes it doesn't happen as quickly as they would like. Maybe then at the other end, they're not as quite as, as, as incisive with the ball as they would like to be or, or, or maybe they lose it a little bit quicker than they would like. But I do think they're, they're a good side. I do think they have good players. I do like Mitchell. And, and there's a stability about them that suggests that I'm not going to go so far as to say, yeah, they're going to stay up there. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were a team that, that maybe took the place of what Rio have been the last couple of years. Do you know what I mean? That team that sort of shouldn't be near the European places, but is. So maybe, maybe we see... I wouldn't be at all surprised, for example, if Girona finished 7th or 8th this year. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, uh, we've got the international break now, but after uh, when we come back from the international break, they've got five games before the next international break against Granada, Mallorca, Villarreal, Real Madrid and Cadiz. Those five matches, there's points there for Girona to be yeah, there are. Uh, to, to, to get. And we, we could still be talking about them being in top four um, by the next international break. But yeah, maybe let's not get too carried away. But congratulations to them on their terrific start. Uh, we should talk about transfers, Sydney, because the transfer window slammed shut a few days ago. And there were some eye-catching and surprising deals that were made, uh, not least... Sergio Ramos, who at the time of recording, I don't think it's official, uh, but it will be. Um, is it official? Have you seen anything? I haven't seen anything I, official. I, I don't know if it's official, to be honest. No, no, I've not seen it. But he's going back to Seville. He's going back to Sevilla, despite all summer, basically, Pepe Castro, the Sevilla president, going, it's never happening, it can't happen, it's not happening. But he's back. Um, he's going to come back into a, a Sevilla side that are bottom of the table, that have lost all three of their matches so far that have conceded plenty of goals and that have seemingly always have two, three or four centre-backs injured, uh, which is why they're signing 37-year-old Sergio Ramos. Just quickly, because we've got a few transfers to to um, talk about, but this is perhaps one of the most mediatic ones. Sydney, 37-year-old Sergio Ramos slotting into a Jose Luis Mendilibar team that usually plays with really one of the highest defensive lines in, in La Liga. It doesn't necessarily feel like a match made in heaven, despite Ramos's historical ties to the club. No, that's true. Uh, I mean, in for it's worth, I love the fact that he's going back, and I and I really hope it hope it goes well, and and it'll be quite fun. Although there's a lot to be done in terms of relationship with the fans. You're right. That part of it, I think he has to have a quick central defensive partner. The one thing I would say is for a team that presses high, Ramos Ramos's willingness to come out of that line and win the ball early, and if he doesn't win it, to make the foul so the team can't carry on through is potentially useful if the timing can be right. And I, I used to feel this a lot with Ramos and actually I used to feel it a lot with Carlos Puyol as well, that they were players that when the timing wasn't right, they could be disastrous because they would go out and leave this big gap behind them. But when they got to those key moments of the season where like, the level of concentration is absolutely right, where the fitness level is absolutely right, that willingness to come out and get the ball you know, the ball's dropping it's sort of in the midfield and the centre-back comes seven or eight metres further forward than his normal position, but gets there 
then it's great. It's fine. The question is if, if, if you're not getting there. Um, but I'm, I'm quite excited. And, and, you know, you look, as you say, you talk about the problems they've had at the back. The likely centre-back partnership uh, against Sevilla, sorry, against Atletico Madrid last night, which obviously was rained off, was, would have been probably Badet and, and Gudeli. And Gudeli obviously isn't a central defender. And this has been happening a lot. He's had to play at centre-back a lot. And I really like him, but it's not his natural position. If you're going to worry about the fitness of Fernando uh, Reyes in midfield, you're probably going to have to move him into the midfield. So you do want... I actually think in purely footballing terms, you probably do want Sergio Ramos. Okay. Uh, He returns to the club uh, 18 years after he left. A large section of the uh, Sevilla supporters have never forgiven him for leaving uh, to go yeah. to, to Real Madrid and every time he went back with Real Madrid there was a really really hostile atmosphere and I think that that also led to yeah. uh, a rivalry being sort of created between uh, Real Madrid and, and, and Sevilla particularly uh, because of the hostility that they faced whenever they went back to the Ramon Sanchez Pijuan so now those fans uh, let's see how they take to Sergio Ramos uh, returning, but mm. it's um, it's a it's, it's a big transfer. It's going to be interesting. Uh, other transfers, oh, by the way, they also signed Mariano Diaz on a free Sevilla, which is. I want to tell you some stats on Mariano because because I you know Mariano is a is a is a sometime footballer. Are you ready for this? He's a very rich man, Sid. Yes. Yes. Mariano's Mariano's La Liga minutes over the last five seasons: one hundred and fifty, three hundred and thirty-two, five hundred and five, thirty-seven, four hundred and thirty-eight. I added those up. There are significant numbers of his Real Madrid teammates who got more minutes than that in the first half of last season. And that's, that's a five-year tally for him. Yes, he's, um, he's not played a lot of football uh, recently, but let's see if he... Let's see, I mean, I don't even know why they signed him, unless uh, Saudi Arabia's coming in for Yusuf Endesiri or something, because they've got Endesiri. They've still got Rafa Mir as well. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting because... I could understand the desperate need for a forward if you think you're losing one of those two. The fact that yeah. they didn't, and they dug their heels in on Rafa Mir because Rafa Mir actually wanted to go. And you're right, it makes me think, hang on, the Saudi window, correct me if I'm wrong, has still got, I think, seven Until or eight the days seventh. left? Until the seventh. Right. Oh, OK, fewer than I thought. Yeah. OK, yeah, only yeah. three days left. But you're then in a position where you're stuck. Yeah. Because if, if they come and pay the buyout uh, clause, I must confess, I don't know what the buyout clause of Ennisiri is, then you can't stop him going. Yeah. And I suppose you've got to have something in case that happens. If it doesn't happen, though, Mariano's not going to play as many minutes at Sevilla. He's, I mean, he's going to be the same as at Real Madrid. He's not going to play, is he? Well, at least he's not going to be too bothered, you know. He's, he's well, that's true. They, they signed a player. Yeah. They've signed a player who's demonstrated quite clearly <laughs> that he's not that worried about not playing, which is kind of sad. But you know, I suppose ultimately. Uh, Getting paid a lot of money for not doing very much is the ideal job, really. Is uh, Abde has joined uh, Real Betis, which looks like a, a really good signing. They paid seven and a half million euros for fifty uh, percent of his rights to Barcelona. Barca were adamant that they wanted to sell him, uh, didn't want a loan. They wanted to get some money in for him, which they did. It looks like a good bit of business all round, really. Yeah, I think it does. Um, I wonder if Barcelona might might regret not having not having him this season although obviously with with Jao Felix coming in perhaps not I'm not sure they were going to play him a huge amount anyway um, 7 million seems quite a lot for 50% of him but not a huge amount and if, and if Betis can really? Yeah, quite a lot when you think you don't think he's a 15 million well, that, that's, euro player? that's essentially why I'm saying it I'm not sure if he is a 15 million euro player in Spanish context mate I think an English team 15 million uh, euros yeah, right, it's right. nothing in England it's quite a lot in Spain <laughs> but then I suppose yeah. in a way does it matter if you only have half of him you know, as long as you're playing him. So I suppose we don't need to look at it as a 15. We look at it as seven. And, and actually, Betis, you know, Pellegrini doesn't half like technical players. They might be fun to watch mm. Betis this year because he's, he's done it again. He always mm. wants players who, 
who want a bit of the ball, who want to play. I mean, I think we've all overlooked the fact that Ayose now is owned by Betis. I think it was really good last year. He's had a good start to this season. Obviously, Isco, everyone's talking about him. But, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know whether Barca, in the end, will actually not be that worried at having lost him. But on the face of it, I did, my initial thought was, oof, that's a bit easy. Uh, the most eye-catching and uh, absolutely surprising transfer uh, took place late on uh, deadline day with Mason Greenwood joining Hetafe. Mm. Um, not sure where to start with this one, Sid. I- I'll give you uh, just the general feeling that I got in uh, in Spain when this happened. One, the initial feeling was surprised, like, oh, Hetafe have signed a Man United player on loan. What's going on here? And then I think people started to realise what was happening. And then that's when the... Uh, the uh, surprise and uh, shock uh, sort of took over. I think mm. amongst Getafe fans, they're delighted. I don't think there's been too much resistance to um, no. Mason Greenwood join from Getafe fans. I don't know if it's unfair to maybe call Getafe the, the mill wall of Spanish football, but it, there's a little bit of no one likes us, we don't care uh, attitude about them. So uh, in terms of resistance from the own fans, I don't think there is going to be uh, too much. But broadly speaking, there's been... Uh, quite a lot of uh, disappointment at this signing, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it took a little while, didn't it? Because you say the initial reaction, it was very late yeah. on the Friday night and you, you got that footage of the fans celebrating outside the ground. And, and you know, that was picked up a little bit um, on the social media and picked up a little bit in the UK. So, oh, look, this is, is terrible. Look how they're celebrating. I think, I think you need to put that into context. This is a, a small group of fans at midnight, possibly just kind of part of the silliness of, you know, here we are. Ree! A lot of them won't even know or at least it won't have properly stopped to think uh, about uh, Mason Greenwood. Obviously, this jars a little bit in the context of everything that's happened for the last two weeks. Uh, Angel Torres, the president of Getafe, was the first person, pretty much, to come out and say Rubiales cannot continue in the Federation. Um, now, obviously, he would argue, I, well, I guess he would argue, I don't know, maybe I'm being overgenerous to, to offer him this argument, that there's a difference between the, the if you like, the the role and the social significance of president of a federation and a guy who plays up front for Getafe. But it does jar, and it jars quite a lot. I asked um, Bordelas about this. There was, there was a couple of us who asked Bordelas about this uh, on Saturday after the game. And Bordelas said, look, I can only really talk about this from a footballing point of view. He said, I think everybody knows the, the, the background to this. The measures were taken at the time. He got a sentence that was not... That, I don't know how to translate this properly. Non-condemnatory. Now, that's not the same as saying he got found not guilty because, of course, it wasn't that. It was that the case was, 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 was basically dropped. Um, and he said, and what we will do now is try to, try to help him and try to get the best out of him. And I think that's the other thing is... I'm, I'm deeply uncomfortable with this, by the way. I, I, I don't want to present this as, well, this is the thing and, and make it sound like this is what I'm embracing. This is the, but this is the view from, from Gaddafi fans. I, I asked a... A uh, couple of colleagues who cover Getafe, and one of them is a is a Getafe fan as well. Um, and the response from both of them was kind of was was a little bit well. It's Getafe, isn't it? It's, I mean, little Getafe, and they've got a Man United player. So of course, everybody. The, the, I was asking them about the fans. I wasn't really asking them about them. And so, but so every everybody's thought really is we're Getafe, and we've got a Man United player. That's amazing. And I think it probably is going to take a few days for it to properly percolate through, and for people to think, oof. Um, and one of them did say to me, uh, she said, this feels really, really weird. And she said, and I must admit, even I, you know, when it, when it first happened, I thought, oh, big signing. And then I thought, hang on a minute, this is, this is jarring. But I don't think it's caused, certainly within the sports media at least, it ha- doesn't seem to have caused a huge noise, at least not yet. I mean, it might at some point, if voices come out and, and condemn it. 
yeah, it hasn't yet, but um, give it some time maybe. Uh, okay, before we go, a quick mention of what's going on in the Segunda División where uh, Zaragoza are top with 12 points from a possible 12, four wins out of four. They beat Eldense 2-0. Española second after a dramatic 3-2 comeback win against Amorebieta. Leganés 1-1 nil at Eibar. And Oviedo are bottom, Sid, after a 1-1 draw at Levante. The good news is that you're only six points off the playoffs. So it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's early, still a long way It's early and there's, there's, there's still plenty of time. Um, I must admit, when Oviedo signed Santi Gazzola, I didn't honestly look at it as a signing we desperately needed. I'm now starting to think it might be. I looked at it as a signing I was delighted about, but not necessarily one that was an absolute necessity. And I, I now wonder if it might, it might be exactly that. Yes, indeed. Uh, hopefully he can uh, lead you to uh, safety and charge up the table uh, towards the... Um towards the playoffs. Uh, that's it uh, for uh, this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Uh, Spain are in action uh, in the uh, World Cup qualifiers on Friday. They're away to uh, Georgia. Uh, so we'll be uh, talking about that uh, over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP uh, for the rest of the week. We'll also be taking your questions. So come and join us, as we said, four euros a month for loads of extra Spanish football content. And if you don't want to do that, it's okay. We won't hold it against you. What we will do is do another free podcast right here next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Network.